This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 to 21. You can find it on page 808 in the Bibles in your rows if you'd like to follow along. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, New City. Uh, My name is Zach Meyer, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you can be with us here at the end of the year before we launch into 2024. Uh, And with today being uh, a family uh, kind of service, right, the kids are here. We don't have kids' classes available today. I thought it would be appropriate uh, for us to begin our time today with a little game uh, to get us into the passage. And I call this game uh, simply, Which is Greater?, uh, the way that this game works is I'm going to give you kind of two things or two people, and you can respond and tell me which is greater. Okay, so I'm going to start out with something really easy. We're going to start with unit of measurement, okay? Now, is a foot greater or is a yard greater? There you go. Okay, we're going to turn it up a little bit now, okay? The Cleveland Browns or the Cincinnati Bengals? There you go. Sorry to our Cleveland folks. All right, here's another one. Uh, Christmas break or finals week? That's right, obviously. All right, we're going to get a little nerdy here, okay? Uh, Star Wars The Phantom Menace or Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back? (laughs) Clear winner, right? Yeah, okay, and I'm sorry for this last one. Okay, Taylor Swift singing or me singing karaoke? That's Oh, I appreciate whoever said Zach. Thank you. All right, thank you for participating in today's game. Uh, So with each of these, there is an obvious answer. Uh, And when kind of confronted with two options, you're always going to take the better of the options. And in today's passage, what we see Matthew doing is he is putting forward two kings for us to consider, to see their differences and to see uh, which king is better. 
And so that is what we're ultimately going to be doing this morning. We're going to be looking at these two kings in our passage, King Herod and King Jesus, to see which one's better. But along the way, we're also going to see that we, uh, while Jesus might be kind of the obvious answer, we all have uh, an inner resistance to the kingship of Jesus. And then we'll also be kind of looking at the remedy for that. Uh, and now while the, uh, I might say the theologian in me would love to make this a, a you know, 40-minute sermon with three points and all those things, the pastor and especially the parent in me says, I think we can do this with one point in 10 minutes. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into our one point, which is a contrast of kings. So let's dive in and contrast these kings. So first you have Herod, uh, who is of the elite of society, and he's been described as racially Arab, religiously Jewish, culturally Greek, and politically Roman. Then on the other hand, you have Jesus, who's from the line of King David. And as we looked at recently, he descends from a mixed bag of Jews, Gentiles, and women who at the time society would say were outcasts. Herod, he is the puppet king of Judea who's kind of been installed by Caesar, and he clings to power so tightly that in his suspicion of political rivals, he is known to have killed three of his sons, uh, many uh, political advisors, and including their own families. Uh, In fact, it's known that Caesar Augustus himself uh, said of Herod's brutality that it would be uh, better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. You have a better chance of of faring more positively if you were a pig than if you were his son. And then as we turn to today's passage, we see another horrible thing. This is called uh, what people refer to as kind of the the slaughter of the innocents. Uh, He ends up killing all of the baby boys under the age of two in Bethlehem, kind of in an attempt to destroy Jesus, who was a threat to his throne. Then Jesus, on the other hand, he's, you know, kind of a backwater king. Uh, He's born in Bethlehem, right, in a manger, And in our passage, he's depicted as this political refugee who has to escape out to Egypt. And even after his return, we see that he doesn't even really make it anywhere of that amazing. He ends up in Galilee in another backwater town called Nazareth. And as we kind of continue to work through this gospel, we ultimately see what Jesus does. Instead of kind of clinging to his power, he actually lays his power down so that he might die to save his subjects. So kind of in the comparison between King Herod and King Jesus, it seems like we have one who takes the life of the innocent and one who lays down the innocence of his own life. We have one who comes and kills the born, and we have one who comes and is born. And if we kind of like think about this, right, both of these kings are attempting to fulfill their versions of their kingdoms. If we slow down, you know, it's pretty obvious. I think we can, you know, go back to this game that we've been playing, right? Which is greater? Which do we prefer? Which which king? Do we want King Herod or do we want King Jesus? Come on. King Jesus, right? It's it's a pretty obvious kind of answer for us. Uh, And, you know, King Jesus is, is the obvious answer. And even kind of after comparing the two, even people who might be a little bit skeptical of Christianity, might know it, not what they think or feel about it. Uh, even they would say like, yeah, Jesus, hands down, is, is the way to go. He's a much better king than King Herod. But one of the things that, you know, you'll find as you kind of walk the Christian life, as you look into the Bible a bit more, is that uh, if we take a closer look at, our, at ourselves, while some of us might choose Jesus— we all kind of find that each of us, every single one of us, has a big resistance to his kingship in our lives. 
That in our lives, when given the choice between following Jesus or following our own rule, we actually kind of find that we're much like the people, and this is fast-forwarding a little bit, but we're much like the people at Jesus' trial who would rather prefer Barabbas go free than to have Jesus acknowledged as king. We'd rather kind of live with injustice than submit our lives to Jesus' rule. So it's easy for us to say that we'd prefer Jesus. It really is. But if we're honest, we're all really deeply resistant to his rule. That we too, and we have to acknowledge that we too are kind of capable of the same types of things, although Herod's kind of an extreme example, but we're still capable of the same type of thing of destroying the beauty of innocence in order to maintain our own reign. Now, in the uh, 2015 cinematic adventure uh, that came along to revolutionize the way that we understood the complexity of the human person, uh, and of course I'm talking about the the Disney epic Inside Out, um, you know, it, it gave us the opportunity to learn more deeply about the human person. And sure, you know, we all knew about emotions before that. We knew how complicated we were. But this movie, kind of on a societal scale, gave us kind of a hilarious insight into the many kind of perplexing drivers that kind of help a person operate. And so, in the same way that kind of inside out kind of presents these little emotions driving a person, the Bible wants us to see that also inside of us, we all kind of have this, what I'll call a, a little Herod. Um, a little part of us that wants to kind of revolt against King Jesus. That's part of the complexity that's inside of us. And that's the really uncomfortable reality about the Bible, is that the Bible doesn't just come along and kind of expose the clear bad guys like King Herod. It also comes and exposes us. And that can be really, really uncomfortable. Frederick Bruner, kind of on this passage, he points this out. He says, Herod is not merely the gospel villain. He is every man. Herod teaches that a reaction of raw human nature to the kingship of Jesus is rebellion. If Jesus is Lord, then we are not. Herod's response to a center of the universe other than himself is to treat it as disease, malaise. Thus Herod, though an extreme case, is not an isolated one. Herod is what I am deep down inside. So this kind of gives us a picture of what sin is, uh, this little Herod inside of us. It's kind of any orientation of the heart that seeks to maintain lordship over our lives instead of kind of submitting it to King Jesus. And, you know, we can see how that plays out in all of our lives too, right? Um, For kids, right, sin is the reason why we don't want to share toys. Um, That's true for when you're little and when you're older, right? You don't like to share your toys, whatever that might be. Uh, It's also the reason why we might pull all the kind of strings we can to continually be in the spotlight, right? We don't really want other people uh, to be in the spotlight. We'd prefer to be there. Um, And it's also like one of the reasons too why we seem to not be, we seem to be able to know exactly what we should do, but we can't seem enough, seem to be able to care enough to actually do it. And it plays out in all of our relationships, right? It sends the reason why all of our relationships kind of start breaking down at some point or another, because all of us are kind of vying for the throne. And you can't sit on the throne. I got to sit on the throne, right? And so we see sin kind of come all over the place. And there's a problem. This is everywhere. It's a huge problem. And Matthew, in this passage, he, he draws our attention to it uh, by quoting Hosea 2. Uh, this is in verse 15. And we don't have all the time to jump into this or what this means. But when Matthew says, out of Egypt, I called my son, Matthew is saying that Jesus is coming out of Egypt uh, much in the same way that Israel had come out of the Exodus. 
Except there's a major difference. That where Israel had come out of Egypt, they turned from God and they lived by their own rule. Whereas we will see Jesus actually faithfully live before God. So you might see that quote and be kind of like, why, why does that matter? What, how does that help us see our, our sin problem? Well, what Matthew's saying is, is kind of like this. Look, we, we have failed to rule our own lives. And our faithlessness has led us kind of first to exile and now under the lordship of this sham king, King Herod. But what we need is something better than our own rule. We need something beyond that. We need God's rule. And I want you guys to see, look, here it comes. Here it comes out of Egypt. It's Jesus. And so what we see in Jesus is that God's rule kind of goes beyond merely kind of telling us what to do. And what we'll see is that God rule, God's rule actually does what we cannot do. We need a king like Jesus, as kind of Philippians 2 says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Or in other words, Jesus has lived the life that none of us could live, and he died the death that all of us deserve to die, so that we could be with God. This is the good news of Emmanuel, God with us. And so what we quickly realize is that we need something more than a simple game of which is better, right? You might be able to acknowledge which king is better, but we actually need something to change the sin in our own hearts. We need a king who can undo the little Herods inside of us, the parts of us that deeply mistrust the kingship of Jesus. And so we get to that point, okay, well, how, how does that happen? How does that happen? For me, one of the places I love to look is this little illustration from Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. Um, and he kind of helps explain how that mistrust gets broken down over time as we look to Jesus. And so this is from his book, The Prodigal God. Uh, in the Vietnamese movie Three Seasons, we meet Hai, who is a local driver, and Lon, who is a beautiful prostitute. Both have deep, unfulfilled desires. Hai is in love with Lon, but she is out of his price range. And Lon lives in grinding poverty and longs to live in the beautiful world of the elegant hotels where she works, but in which she never gets to spend the night. She hopes that the money she makes by prostitution will be her means of escape, but instead the work brutalizes and enslaves her. And then High enters a race, and he wins the top prize. And with the money, he brings Lon to the hotel. He pays for the night and pays her fee. And then to everyone's shock, he tells her that he just wants her to be able to fall asleep. Instead of using the power of his wealth to sleep with her, he spends it to purchase a place for her to one night belong in the normal world, to fulfill her desire to belong. And Lon finds such grace deeply troubling at first, thinking that High has done this to control her. But when it becomes apparent that he is using his power to serve her rather than to use her, it begins to transform her, making it impossible to return to a life of prostitution. Jesus Christ, who had all the power in the world, saw us enslaved by the very things that we thought would free us. And so he emptied himself of his glory and became a servant. He laid aside the infinities and immensities of his being, and at the cost of his life, paid the debt for our sins, purchasing us the only place our hearts can rest, in his Father's house. So that knowing that he did this will actually transform us from the inside out, as High's selfless love did for Lon. 
Why wouldn't you want to offer yourself to someone like this? Selfless love destroys the mistrust in our hearts towards God that makes us so committed to our own personal kingdoms. So it's in beholding this love of God, this selfless love of God, that actually helps to undo this mistrust. And by being able to witness that played out in the gospel and the way that that has played out in your lives, it transforms us. But to kind of put a little bit more kind of like a practical grip on this and kind of closing, I just kind of have these four kind of takeaways for us. How do we kind of, you know, drive the selfless love of God into our hearts? And these are the four things. Uh, The first thing that I would say is helpful for us is that we can notice your need for Jesus. One of the gifts I think we often overlook is the ability of Jesus's forgiveness to help us actually to look at our sin in the places where we're broken without shame. To be able to look at those places instead of running and trying to hide those places and instead hold them and bring them to Jesus. So that's the first thing is being able to actually notice that and say, hey, this is something I don't have to hide from and I can actually take it to the Lord. The second thing that I think is really helpful for us is because the same way that Jesus frees us from shame is that it helps us to resist the urge to minimize. What each of us does when we kind of have an area of our lives that feels out of control is we like to minimize. We come up with really creative ways to basically say, it's not that bad, everybody else does it, it's okay. But what Jesus does, he actually helps us to say, point blank, yeah, it actually is that bad, but I'm okay because Jesus has done something here to save me from this. And the third thing that he also saves us from is he also saves us from the urge to perform, right? Because another way that we kind of approach this, uh, the shame of sin is we like to say, okay, I might've failed yesterday, but today's a new day. And so if I just, you know, nail it all today, then I'll be okay. The reality is we're not going to do that, right? We're going to mess up again. The way the gospel actually comes in, what that does to us is it tells us, yeah, you might've messed up yesterday, probably going to mess up today, and you're probably going to mess up in the future, but all of those sins are actually buried with Jesus. They're dealt with. And more than that, more than any performance you could actually come up with, Jesus has actually done a performance that is far greater, that is gifted to you, that is a grace to you, that actually defines you more than any mess up or any greatness that you could actually work, and that becomes our identity. And then finally, the last one that I'd say is that we should practice receiving Jesus's love. Some of the ways that we can do that, there's a variety of them, but one of those in particular is what we're about to do at the Lord's table. To have a really tangible way of seeing the way that God has given himself to nourish you spiritually by his life, death, and resurrection. And so those are the things that I'd kind of put forward to us of how do we drive these things deeper into our lives? And so with that, I just have this to say. That friends, Jesus gave his life, his standing before the Father and the Holy Spirit so that you could know the power of his selfless love to disarm the little Herods inside of us all. And yeah, there's going to be those points and those times where we're really resistant to his grace because we think he's trying to control us. But One of the things that you'll see is just like Lon in the story is that he's using all of his power to love you, to serve you, and to bring you into his home. And that is the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here before you this morning as those who long for a better kingdom. Uh, We see who you are, and we see that you are greater. Uh, But we also acknowledge, Lord, that there is a resistance to you in each of us. And kind of as we bump up against this resistance in our lives, would you help us to see King Jesus as the remedy? And as we come to your table now, would you let the selfless love of your life, death, and resurrection sink deeper into our hearts? 
We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.